Periscope. Okay, I think we're safe to launch this podcast. Hello and welcome to Ribbon of Memes, episode 14. A podcast where we mercilessly interrogate films previously described by other Capitans as masterpieces. I have here with me Richtig Roger. It's a long way to Tipperary. <laughs> Poor Raries, why do they always get tipped? Um, I am Nick, and in this episode we are evacuating the conning tower, putting on the warning lights, and diving deep into the Battle of the Atlantic with Wolfgang Petersons, uh, and the start of my many mispronunciations for this episode, um, Das Boot, um from 1981. Um, and speaking of the Battle of the Atlantic, Roger, you are much more of a, an expert on World <laughs> War II than me. It might, it might be worth having I, a I have just finished a 14-year role-playing campaign set in World <laughs> War II. I, Nearly I, I, three I, times longer than the Second World War. Yeah, that wasn't the plan. Anyway, I've I, I picked up a, thing, a bit of stuff here and there. So, uh, the the basic setup here. It, it's actually quite hard to tell from the film. I think the film assumes, assumes you know what's going on and, you know, that's not unreasonable. This is why I'd appreciate some background. But essentially Britain needs about a million tonnes of imports a week to keep right. going. These are coming from the US and Canada and the submarines are being sent out to sink those merchant ships. I was just wondering, I, I want to avoid this becoming a full-on history podcast, though, I don't know, that's nice. We could do that. Um, but <laughs> um, how did Germany have a load of U-boats, given that it was supposed to have not armed itself? <laughs> yeah, um, there, there was a lot, of, well, the, the, the simple version is they cheated. The, the <laughs> okay. slightly more complex version is um, quite a lot of people felt that the Versailles Treaty provisions were a bit excessive and the idea that they should have no right. armed forces, effectively no armed forces at all, was unreasonable and that, therefore okay. helped them um, get the basics going. I'm, I, I'm going to mention this a bit later. I, I've actually been aboard a sort of prototype of a Type 2 U-boat which was built um, for the Finnish Navy. Right. Um, just happens to be built... Uh, with everything labelled in German as well as in Finnish, so so that so oh, okay. that German so crews a... could get the hang of what it was like to operate work aboard a modern submarine. Oh, so they were like, oh, the, the Finns have just put in a huge order for submarines, which, which, so which we haven't, and act as advisors and, and, and pay for and pay for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, I see. Um, so, yeah, th- this is this is an interesting time. Um, up to about February, March of 1941, uh, it's called the first happy time. Because essentially, right. you've got the first a, a working... Along the lines of the phony war? Or just... <laughs> well, it's mostly called it by the, by the uh, German submarine skippers. Uh, oh, you, you've got an effective combination of uh, Condor maritime patrol aircraft, uh, which, which can loiter for you know, ten, 10 hours at a time, shadowing a convoy. And, and giving position reports. The convoys right. don't have carriers with them while they're out in mid-Atlantic. Aircraft yeah. carriers. Uh, okay. they, they have, um, uh, yeah, there's, there's some very dodgy stuff where you, where you catapult a, sh- a plane off a uh, battleship's turret, but it really doesn't <laughs> work well. Uh, well, I suppose in this era, everyone was, there was still a lot of the Navy thinking, 
battleships were going to be the snazzy thing, not aircraft carriers. It was only like in the Pacific that it became pretty clear. Particularly the sinking of Repulse and Prince of Wales, but I, I'm not going to divert, divert, divert into yep, that. Sorry. Really, I'm not. Um, so <laughs> you've you basically got, uh, you've got these Condor sending position reports. They, they will report to the submarines and the submarines will, uh, have generally passive sonar. It, it's quite important to remember submarines of this era, uh, and in fact, just to the end of this era, are basically surface ships. And right, they can okay. submerge, but they are slower and they have a limited time when they're down. So. As we find out in the, uh, in yeah. Dust Boot. Dust Boot. <laughs> so, um, generally what you get is a Condor position report or a uh, U-boat position report. They will call in other nearby U-boats. Uh, that's, that's your classic wolf pack. Okay. And basically, pretty much as you see here, try to, uh, sink several ships and then, t- then turn away and hide from the retaliation and then maybe come back and do it again later. And as I understand, the idea of convoys was arrived at kind of reluctantly by the Admiralty, but it was a way of getting all your destroyers to a place where there definitely would be some U-boats, i.e. attacking a load of merchant ships. Yeah, and the, the alternative, alternative was to send the merchants on their own. Um, yeah. And this was basically very unpopular. The, the, the technical term for finding out where a submarine is because it just sank one of your ships is flaming datum. Uh, <laughs> okay. And yeah, that, that, that's, um, also the basic problem is if, if you've got them going down, down a uh, predictable route, then they become quite easy to find anyway. So it takes some into, I mean, the reason this is all helpful is, as you say, in Das Boats, we are pretty much with the crew confined to the U-boat for pretty much the entire mm. film, where, except for a few brief scenes where they were not. Um, and so it's hard, without some knowledge of quite how submarines are supposed to attack convoys and how convoys respond to that, uh, you get that everyone's very tense. Yeah. Well, th- <laughs> this is happening more towards the end of 41. Uh, yes. so you've got various thing, various allied weapons coming on stream. Um, you've got catapult on merchantmen, which are basically merchants with, with a top deck for launching, uh, aircraft and, and recovering them, which was the revolutionary thing. You, you can't, you I can't mean, do that. Arming merchantmen. Well, no, no. They, they, sorry. They, they, these are, these are, I, th- I think they're auxil- Royal Navy auxiliary ships. They're, they're military ships. Okay. Um, All right. but. They, yeah, it, it's a way of getting a carrier on the extremely cheap and quick. The other thing I'm interested in, uh, from a background point of view, is what was the attitude towards submarines? Were they? Con- I mean, it's I cheating. suspect it's being sneaky. Yeah, exactly. That that was my. I I thought that you know most British naval commanders felt that it was it wasn't quite cricket. Uh, not not just British. Way. I mean, there, there were plenty of other cruise marine commanders who felt it, it, it wasn't really right, the right thing to do, but it was working. Okay. Uh, other things coming in at this point, you've got high frequency direction finding. So the wolf pack starts to break up because you know submarine A spots a convoy and sends a report, and mm. then three destroyers pick up the transmission. They may not be able to read it in real time, but they, they can direction find where it's coming from. They triangulate in and sink right. that submarine before the reinforcements could arrive. Um, right. Also, of course, the naval enigma intercepts. So... Was that happening by yes. now, by 41? Yeah. Are we in 41 in this? It is. It is. It, 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 it's, it's, there's, there are one or two mentions of 41. It seems to be late in 41, but yeah. Um, 
So okay. that so before things are going spectacularly tits up for the Axis. Yeah, and they're not reliably um, the Allies aren't reliably reading Axis movement orders and stuff, but they are certainly getting hints and doing the okay. traffic analysis stuff and so on. So basically, you know, a year ago things were much better than they are now. Is is, is the gist of this? For if you're on the Axis side of yes. things, well, that, that's where we are. I'll give it in this film. Give it a year. I'm sure. Well, that's true. That's a very good point that we are on the Axis side of things for. The entire film. Well, that's one of the things I want to come to. I, the, I mean, that is that's the background to the film. Then we're in the Battle of the Atlantic. It is. I mean, there was no. Cl- I mean, the Battle of the Atlantic went on for the whole war, yes. one way or the other. Is that right? And yeah, so, I mean, but it, was, it, no it was a bit sad and it. pathetic by the end. But you know, the submarine crews were still doing everything they could. Right. Um, and so we follow the crew of U-boat. Is it fifty? U ninety six. So this is a Type Seven C. It's pretty new. Um, I mean, there's very rapid technological development. Uh, We we never actually see it, but this one has an active sonar as well as the as the the passive listening system. I was yeah, so I was interested to see what it. um, They don't really use. Um, So we follow the unnamed. As far as I could tell, I was I was bad. towards the end of the film. I thought I can't remember any of these characters' names, and then it turns out none of them except Verna are actually mentioned by name in the whole film. So mm. I felt a bit better about it. Uh, so we follow Lieutenant Verna, who is in the um, uh, uh, the well. I will say he's a journalist, but he's really part of the propaganda corps. Yeah, a, a journalist for the um, War Department in, in, in the British equivalent. Uh, yes, um, and he goes on a patrol with U ninety six. Which is, um, I don't know, if if Apocalypse now the story of someone who's given a mission and then succeeds it, U-96 is someone who has a routine patrol and then fails <laughs> pretty miserably at it. Um, they uh, they come across one, well, one destroyer, escape from it, one convoy and sink. Again, I wasn't clear whether they sank three ships or it was one ship that they hit with three torpedoes. I suppose it doesn't desperately matter for the it, it, It's not a lot of ships, that's the key thing. No. I mean, you, you've uh, got, uh, 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 I think something like 12 or 16 torpedo capacity. I don't remember exactly. Um, four forward tubes, as, as you do learn in the film. Um, yes, yes. And yeah, I mean, basically, there, there, there are ships up, you know, 20,000 ton ships out there and they're sinking, you know, maybe a 6,000 tonner. They, they don't have the most successful yeah. patrol put it that way, and then they are given orders, bizarre orders to get through the Straits of Gibraltar, which they are aware, the captain is certainly aware, is something akin to a suicide mission, mm-hmm. um, tries to get his first officer and uh, Werner off, uh, fails to do so, uh, narrowly escape death at the bottom of the Straits of Gibraltar, uh, and they get home where they fail to escape death. <laughs> so, spoilers, um, because they're straced by an Allied uh, a bombing raid on La Rochelle. Mm-hmm. Mm, that would be the summary of it. Now, I watched the director's cut version. There were many different versions of this film. Like the the theatrical release was uh, just two and a half. Oh, hours, I believe so. Like just two and a half. And hours. this one's a bit um, over three. This was released in, and that was, so the director's cut was eighty one. Then there was a TV series that I vividly remember my parents being absolutely glued to. Uh, it came to the UK probably 85, I think. Yeah, that, that's the version that I've seen before. That is, I think, six 50-minute episodes, something like that. Right, OK. So considerably longer even than the director's cut, which is about an hour longer than 
the theatrical mm. release. And it's hard. It's worth mentioning that because a lot of some of the original criticism was that it kind of rattles along and you don't learn much about the characters and much that is added in in the TV series and in the director's cut is, is background information on the characters or character moments yeah. or I guess moments of tedium, which are well, I, I, th- I think it would be in. fair to say that there isn't in in terms of o- overarching story or plot. I I think. Mm. I mean, there, there is a, a, a bit. They go out on the patrol, they come back. But yeah. it, it's fairly weak. It's much more, here is this incident yeah. and here is this other incident. And they don't really follow particularly one from the other. Yeah, the only thing that follows on are the characters, their beards, <laughs> <laughs> getting progressively, and the damage to the to the, the U-96. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that is my first... I, so I went into this thinking I would really enjoy Boat. Um, God, my pronunciation is going to be random for the, the <laughs> name. No, incidentally, it was called the boat. Um, it wasn't called Das Boot. <laughs> das boat. Um, but the boat is not a very memorable title, so everyone outside of Germany remembers it as Das Boot because it's much easier <laughs> to remember that way. This I watched. Uh, I've, um, I've seen a German uh, theatrical poster that calls it Das Boot. So, uh, well. Well, I guess that's in German, though, isn't it? I mean, in, in German, it was called the boat in German. Well, so uh, yes, okay, uh, never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right, well, uh, crosswise. Um, I uh, also I watched this uh, in German with English subtitles, as most of us nowadays are much more comfortable mm. doing. But the original crew subtitled it all in. All of them could speak English, and all of them dubbed it in their own. Uh, it, well, they all dubbed it themselves in English. Yeah, well, actually, technically, they all dubbed it themselves in German uh, as as well, because well, not not because of um, you know noise inside the submarine set or anything, well, sort of. Um, they they built a custom camera. Yeah. Uh, the same sort of idea as a steady cam, but it's basically a, a heavily modified Aeroflex, uh, but right, it had yeah. great big gyroscopes in it, and so and they made they a lot of run, noise. Run through the- Okay, so it was the noise of the camera itself mm-hmm. that meant they couldn't use that. Okay, interesting. Um, this is a submarine I have seen before because this exact submarine is the one that a certain famous archaeologist uh, implausibly uh, stows away on board All on right. a trip to the Azores. It's, it's the, exactly the same film. In fact, when Wolfgang Peterson came to film some of it, he discovered that Spielberg had nicked, <laughs> nicked his model uh, for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it's, it's not only the same class of ship, it is the same submarine that Indiana Jones somehow mm. survived submarine. The, the, the Conning Tower, <laughs> I believe, still survives at the Bavaria Studios. Oh, really? Interesting. It, it was basically pretty hollow. It was basically a a fairly empty shell with an engine in it, which is why it broke apart in heavy waters. And they yeah, though, though they also built. built an interior set um, mm. on hydraulic jacks, so they could shake it and tilt it over and so on, and, and make that all look plausible. And yeah, poor yeah, water. Yeah, I suppose in. there's no point waggling your camera around where it's got a gyroscope. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's, uh, as you say, we talked about the plot, or we've touched on the plot. I agree. It was very, very light on plot. Um, well, it, it, it's well, micro plot. No it's, it's, it, the individual plot, yes. incidents are very powerful. Yes. And that's, I think that's where the film, you know, immediately, it, it's clearly a conscious decision to pretty much have you in the submarine with the crew the whole time mm. and very little else. There's some exterior shots of the submarine occasionally, uh, 
not much else really you're you're in there with them um and i guess this is why verna uh leutnant verna is very important i mean it's a fairly classic trope to have a newcomer a- arrive so that the, the the characters can explain to the to the viewers what mm. the heck is going on because he has no clue as well, though, is, but it, I think it's very useful here yeah though, though the book it is based on by uh, Luther Gunther Buchheim Buchheim mm. actually did go out on the 8th patrol of U96 yeah he is uh, Werner is his self-insert <laughs> oh yeah he's, he's very much so, so this Lothar, this character Luther Gunther Buchheim is an interesting character he Hated mm. this film. He, um, he it because... came came over as an action flick or or, or an actual German yeah. propaganda film. He reckoned. Yes, he he wrote it as an extremely anti-war, and he felt this was this was a pro-war film. Now I don't know uh, uh, who is it that said I can't remember. But it came up in Apocalypse Now. You can't you can't make an anti-war film because fil- because war always looks exciting. So however anti-war mm. you're trying to be, there's always some adrenaline, some excitement. Which I would say is true of most films. I don't know that Das Boot looks particularly excellent. I mean, I think it's brilliant um, in its well, scenes of tension, On the one hand, these doesn't... are very brave men. Yes. On the other hand, I don't want to be there. <laughs> exactly. There's nothing about it that makes you think, well, actually, that, that's a bit exciting there. It just, I mean, most of them... Most of them are detached from the fighting, and a lot, they f- spend most of combat just sitting in the the aft, praying that they don't die, as mm-hmm. they could tell. And, um, and then, so then suddenly I, I, there, there is need for extremes of physical effort in, in exactly, order not to die. Exactly. Yeah, that doesn't sound, that doesn't seem thrilling. So, as far as so, but regardless, he felt it was, as you say, adrenaline fueled war, war film and a pro-war film. Again, he was talking about the theatrical release, which we haven't watched, and it, I, I think the pacing is probably a lot different mm. to the director's cut that we watched. Yeah, I did, I did have but a look I, around, but I, but I couldn't find the uh, original one on a, on a quick skim, so... No, I, I've got the DVD from 97, and it didn't have... I thought it might have the original included, but it, it doesn't seem mm. to. Not that I could find. Um, so, he also hated the... And again, I'd like to talk about the... the um, the unprofessional, I think he called them hysterical, because mm. um, he didn't feel, um, he would know much more than we would, I guess, that the crew would act like that. I, I mean, I think he's specifically referring to the, the scene where one of the sailors dress up in hula skirts and, and dances around. Mm. But, uh, but I felt overall, he felt they were very unprofessional and hysterical and, and not the way... Yeah, to be fair, that that is a Hollywood thing. I mean, any any Hollywood space film... I don't mean space adventure, I mean sort of vaguely realistic space mission. They're always yeah. far more um emotional histrionic than any real flight crew ever is. Uh, it, That's true. I mean, if you think about Apollo 11, they're, they're pretty... It sounds pretty dull to actually listen to the audio, but, I mean, they were some tense men. I think it's... it's yeah, and, you, you know, this, this is the really dangerous bit where, the, where they're probably about to die. Oh, yeah, Armstrong's heart rate has gone up from 55 to 57. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and they know that's bad, but, um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so they are, I suspect, fair criticism. He was a strange character. I mean, he was um, known for an extremely fiery temper. He lived... Uh, he had... He ended up with fourteen million dollar equivalents, but lived in absolute poverty of a camping table because he. Well, that's that's how you accumulate forty million dollars, I guess. 
Well, I get, but he accumulated it from his novels. So he wasn't <laughs> shy of. Um, but there we are. Interesting character who hated the film. Um, uh, this was this was kind of a Hollywood production, or was was planned as one before it became a fully German one. I think I maybe miss I may have misread the background, but it, it ended up being one of the most expensive German films ever made. Yeah. Um... I'm not sure quite how the Genesis got started. There, there was, I mean, there were various thoughts about uh, making the the novel into a film. Who it was who who was planning this, I don't know. But they were certainly talking about various uh, directors, uh, American directors. Yeah, well, Wolfgang Petersen has since gone on to have a much more traditional sort of Hollywood career. Yeah. He's done um, some, yeah. I mean, none of them, to, to me. Touch das boats. Um, Robert, Robert Redford and Paul Newman were both considered for the part of the captain. That's right. This is why I have in my head that it was um, a supposed to be an American production. <laughs> but I don't know whether he fought for German crew, but it, it comes across really as very much. I mean, what it comes across to me is is uh, what you were. To me nowadays, it looks like a TV movie. Mm. Uh, but I don't denigrate that. I mean, by the standards of 2021, where our TV is better than cinema for the most well, part. Well, one of the interesting it, things, one of the, I mean, I, I think if we summed this up in, in a phrase, it would be Wolfgang Peterson's obsession. Um, <laughs> but one of the things he did, uh, and, and I think the, the obsession is, is effective here, is get people who looked like the stereotypes of, you know, what a German from this part of Germany looks like, and he has them talking in, right. the, in the appropriate accents. So, that, and I think this is most apparent in, is it the first officer, the Berliner? Um, mm. The first, have... uh, or maybe it's the second officer. Um, but yeah, the one who's extremely drunk, right, at the start <laughs> of the film. Um, well, one of the many extremely drunk, but he starts the film extremely drunk rather than gets drunk. Um, yeah. Um, well, should we talk about the actors and the characters in it? Mm. And all right, I, I have this man crush in Jürgen Prochnow, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> largely because of his work here. Yeah, he's. Um, I mean, he's the old guy, isn't he? He's supposed to be like thirty, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but he's the grand. Well, the, the old man um, is, is quite a standard uh, term for the captain, anyway, yeah. of any ship. But he's um, he's he he is a, an interesting character. He clearly has. I want to talk about this a little bit, actually. But he clearly has no time for the Nazis, mm-hmm. and I think as an older um, military person, that probably. That probably is about right. I think the military were getting pretty pissed of Hitler. By well, that point. I don't know about. Yeah, the, yeah this is the, 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 there's about. a lot of myth making about this. Um... Well, that, so this is um, what I'm interested in. That, I mean, this is a film where there's basically one Nazi on board the mm-hmm. ship, and then the rest are Germans. And it's not even the Germans. I, I mean, they're just soldiers. They're soldiers, exactly. And, well, and so. Uh, I, I mean, there's a part of me that feels there's a, there's a ring of truth to that, and I'm sure there were plenty who were sick of Hitler by then. But not not did. so much at this point, to be fair. Well, that, I, think, <laughs> I feel it has been a criticism. I mean, the, the money was rolling I, in at this point. So. I suspect it's true that it really plays up the anti-Nazi element here and plays down the fact that a lot of soldiers were strongly supportive of Hitler. And a lot, of, well, I, I think more so in the general populace. I, I don't know. You would know better than me how the military were feeling about Hitler at this stage in the war. But it felt to me 
having seen this criticism, I, I, as far as I understand it, or at least my instinct is, it's probably true. There probably were more people who it, were openly supportive of Hitler. Yeah, it, it certainly seems to be the case that the Kriegsmarine was the least pro-Nazi service. Yeah. Um, this, I, it's interesting. I mean, the the Luftwaffe was was the most. Um, and you usually what you find is Hermann Goering a Nazi. <laughs> well, okay. Th- this is this is where you should read Spitfire on my tail. Um, by right. actually by the guy who invented the word processor. Uh, so he was the son of a provincial school teacher, and he the reason he and people he knew supported the Nazis at first was not because of the loot that they were getting, but because as as a minor middle class person he would simply never have got a chance to fly a plane because pre Nazi that was for for the cavalry officer families. For the elites, right. Um and I think there was a lot of that in the early Luftwaffe. Okay. Uh so and then then the army is somewhere in the middle. I mean you you get uh, Guderian and von Manstein both wrote very self-serving autobiographies after the war about, you know, how we, we, you know, we were good, clean soldiers and never had anything to do with this Nazi stuff. And in the case of I mean, Guderian, at least, he is simply lying. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it is a survival tactic to distance yourself from the Nazi. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there were a lot of assassination attempts on Hitler after this point, I suppose. Mm. But they all came from the military, didn't they? And, and mainly from the army, as far as I can tell. Yeah, it, it's it's more later than this. I mean, it's really particularly right. once the fighting in Russia has started to bog down. Yeah, that because well. <laughs> the, the whole point of this system is to, to get the loot, right? Make yes. Germany great again, and yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and when when that wasn't <laughs> happening, then they started to say, "Well, hang on a minute, this ain't working. You're not, you're not delivering on your promises." Right. Okay. So, I mean, I I, don't, so I, I think is, what we could say is played it, up the probably. I mean, it wouldn't be completely implausible. But I suspect people would have been a little bit less open about it. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I suppose you could argue maybe this one ship was an anomaly and known for it or... Well, you, you, you've got but... the, um, the other captain, Thompson. Yeah, who's, uh, that's a nice scene at the beginning where he's clearly about to launch into a diatribe against Hitler and you get a Gestapo type character. Was it the, f- well, it was this first officer. It was, um, uh, the uh, the first watch officer gets up who's clearly pro Nazi mm-hmm. and is watching closely and then he kind of then immediately toes the party line yeah. as best he can. It's a, that was a nice scene. I, I mean, the opening is very good. A, a lot of it has. It, it, it is said I that Otto Sander was in fact about as drunk as he looks while filming that scene. <laughs> yes, yes, I he certainly. If he isn't drunk, he plays a drunk. <laughs> certainly. I hope it's not racist. They seem extremely German drunk, at least. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just, it feels very, um, period appropriate. And, and yeah, it's kind of physiognomy, appro- physiognomy appropriate. Mm. They all look the, the right. They look slightly out of time for our time and look appropriate for the full. Yeah. And that, that, that's what you get when, obs- when an obsessive director get, gets to indulge himself, basically. Um, yeah. Well, I think it works. Really... If, if I spoke more German, I think I would probably appreciate the accents better. Well, that's a, yeah. I mean, the accents are a bit lost on us, but it's it's uh, it's nice to see that. So the the captain, uh, anti-Nazi, and then we have the 
I think he's either chief engineer, who's kind of almost seems to be the second in command, who has some problems with his wife. Um, mm-hmm. and his, um, I never quite got to the bottom of what his wife was very ill, or had she been attacked in a raid or something? Uh, they they had been a raid on the town where she was living, right? Okay. And obviously, no no news had got out. Okay, which is why he was fairly maudlin for the mm. whole film. Um, I, I mean, again, we, we talked about there's more character development. I'm not sure in the kind of literary sense there is really any character development here, except maybe in Werner, as he goes from very naive to, well, this isn't much fun. Um, may, maybe Johan? I mean, Obermachinist Johan is, is the guy who struck me most on this watching, the, the chief mechanic. Uh, the one who is almost court martial but not quite. Yeah, who, who who simply breaks down from the stress. Yeah, yes, he has a he has a journey, and that reveals the more um, humane sign of our captain as well, um, which which seems to work for him. He, he doesn't immediately go for court martial when the engineer breaks down. In well, also extreme. Stress. Yeah, and. I, the feeling I get from, I mean, this may be me, me misreading it, but the feeling I get from Prognos acting here is, of course I'm not going to court-martial you, you idiot. But I yeah. can't say that, because I need to keep the idea of discipline going. Yes, or, I agree. Or, or that, everything that, will break down. Well, this, you know, we've talked about this before, but this is where... I think we both feel acting really, as we understand it, comes into play when you are getting different things from the words coming out of the character's mouth to what mm. to what they're doing with their body and with their language. And, and yes, exactly. I, I completely. That's what I mean. That the humane sign is that you know you're my friend. We're not going to go through this, but I have to be seen to be doing it. Mm. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a very nicely played scene. Um, and how so? How do you feel about uh, our author, our Mary Sue character? We <laughs> well, say, not really. Um, Verna, <laughs> uh, um, well, well he is—he is a bit uh, of a blank. He, I mean, he—he is, is the guy who doesn't know how things are done and finds out how things are done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, again, I, I suppose talking about the characters, there there isn't much to say about them in depth. There, I don't know that they're. Stereotypes, though. I don't well, know, if, if, if you were reading his love letter, writing his love letters to his girlfriend, uh, who is going to be murdered by the by resistance, it. yeah. Even that's complicated by the fact that yes, she's pregnant with a German child, um, and yeah. Uh, but um, who, who is clearly not going to make it for the end of the film? But then that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of the characters of the film too. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. Know, there, there, the there is more character it. stuff in, in the full uh, TV series version. Right, ba- okay. Basically, I, okay. The, the term director's cut gets very abused, uh, and the thing it means now is not what it used to mean. But um, it, this all the footage for the TV series was made was was filmed for the, and th- then it was very heavily cut for the theatrical release, and then somewhat less cut for the TV. Right. It, so it yes, is, it is basically the same thing. It's not we we pushed in lots of extra stuff. I mean, it's a hard question to... Yes, exactly. They haven't filled a load of new stuff. It's a hard question to answer, would I have preferred... I think, given the choice, I'd probably have had the happy medium of the one that we watched. I I would probably happily have watched it as... Uh, was it six 50-minute I think so, yeah. I think happy, I, I would have happily watched that. Only 50% uh, longer than the one we had. Well, exactly. I was going to say, in order to watch for... 
you know, a film a week, that might have been a bit much. <laughs> um, and I, it was only when I was two hours into this film, I realised it was three and a half hours <laughs> long. Um, but I, that wasn't, it didn't. Did it drag for you? No. No, it didn't for me. I, there are moments of tedium, but they are, they're not tedium on behalf, they're on behalf of the characters in the, in the, in the, boat not well the the the, the unsourced quote that that uh, goes on about submarine warfare is you know hours of boredom and moments of sheer terror mm, sounds like uh, anesthesia <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry peek behind the curtain there um but uh yeah i think that's it and that is a nicely um uh, well it, yeah it, it didn't drag i didn't feel at any point Oh no, they're not going to do another. It's, it's just you're interested in the characters, and then you learn something about the characters. You learn what it's like to be on a boat, which is you know it's interesting for somebody mm. like me. Knows I wasn't even sure how submarines go up or down. Until the the, the <laughs> set is ferociously accurate. Okay, so that I mean, and that is down to Peter. You know, he's boasting. Even every even the screws were period authentic. Apparently, I mean, that's mm-hmm. true that is. But that was the level of detail he wanted to boast about, which suggests to you. At least there is some accuracy involved. Here. Yeah, I, I've, I've um, been through the Finnish uh, Vesico, as a, which is a mu- uh, well, say museum ship on dry land these days, uh, yeah. which is a Type Two, which is the uh, effectively a Type Two, which is the, the the generation before this. It's a lot a lot right. smaller, but frankly, about as cramped. So did I mean? They, how well did they uh, having been in one then? Did did it feel cramped to you in the film in the way that it felt? It felt right. I mean, I haven't been aboard a yeah. uh, surviving seven. I, I believe there are one or two about still, uh, but but it seems plausible. I, I I don't. What what do you think uh, audiences would have been familiar with in terms of submarine films? Because the, the main thing that occurs to me is Run Silent, Run Deep, which is fifty eight. Um, I. But of course, that is the wee dive at dawn. Or mm-hmm. I mean, there certainly have been submarines as well. I, I mean, I, I know of some black and white films certainly, but I don't know about the Cruel Sea. Was that a submarine film? Probably not. Uh, um, I don't think so. There, there had been a few military submarine films previously. Does oh, we dive at dawn? That is the only one that springs mm-hmm. to mind. Is that yeah forty three? Yeah, uh, and that's um, yeah, that is the one that I remember. Um, from my childhood um, is that the one there is one that stands out very strongly maybe we dive at dawn which is basically it's a black and white film you're following submariners they hit the bottom of the ocean and they they basically die <laughs> you know it's just a long drawn out death for them as they suffocate um, maybe I'm misremembering that's not we dive at dawn because that's that's a 43 war film so it's obviously going to be very pro so it's unlikely going to be that. Um, I will have to dig it the, out. The thing I would say, looking at both We Dive at Dawn and Run Side at Run Deep, uh, in one case British submarine, in one case the other an American, um, is there's a lot more space. Yeah, even just looking at the stills here, they are... Uh, exactly. I mean, that... I, and I... But there's the technicality of where you put the camera and stuff. But it's very clear that Peterson was really very keen to get that claustrophobic feel across, which is why we never leave the submarine once they once they're on the submarine. We are too. We never get off it until they mm. do. Um, There's the, so the occasional what, we are on the conning tower in, in the middle of horrible weather. But exactly, yeah, and we we see that from 
a few meters away, but that's about as far away as mm. we get from it. Um, what do I? I mean, the, the honest answer is I don't know. I suspect this would have been a revelation. I mean, there have been a lot of submarine films since nuclear subs and things like that. I was looking up what um, actual submariners felt was the most accurate film, um, and there were some problems with this film, particularly with the kind of the the Nazi element or the the lack of Nazi mm. element. But the one thing. Submariner said whatever a protocol or whatever the action was, the one thing that Das Boot got absolutely right was the the feeling of mm. it, the cramped nature of it, um, which I agree had probably hadn't come across before. I mean, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise when you think about it, um, about how these things work. But I think living it as we do in Das Boot was probably very different from any other. Yeah, I mean, it, it's brutally unheroic, I think, is the key thing. I mean, heroic in the sense that this is very dangerous and you have to be very brave and so on, but completely lacking in glamour. And, that, that, and particularly yes. when, when they go aboard the um, supply ship. I, I, I think well, that's, well, that's very... Faced with this feast. And, yeah, t- tell me um, about what a great hero you've been. We're, we're, we're stuck here. We want to hear about our, our heroes. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, to, to dead silence and uh, munching on... <laughs> <laughs> munching on um, that was that was interesting. Well, that's that was that scene was what prompted my question. Really, what what was the attitude to submariners in the rest of the fleet? Would they have got that kind of reception? Well, that that's a particular bit of a special case because what we've got here is yeah. is officially a a German merchant ship that's been interned by the Spanish. Right. Um. So they, these are guys who who are basically sitting for years by the dock. Unable right. really to do anything much except in their small way do do these unofficial resupplies. Okay, all right. So they did, so, uh, so they are sitting there being bored for years at a time and won't. So anyone that turned out, they would have been excited to see. Um, because I suppose the exploits. Um, I mean, you're right that there's no kind of movie heroism. There is a lot of, you know what it is actually like to be a hero, I suppose, in, in whatever that term means, in that you have to be brave. In you, have, you have to slide world. down under the, under the grating and bridge the life batteries and try not to electrocute yourself, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that's incredible. Um, well, there's, there's like mostly not about... acid in, in the bilges anymore. <laughs> that, well, we'll talk about... Um, I, I wanted to talk about the, um, the torpedoing scene, when they go up mm-hmm. um, and realise there are... There are still people on the ship when they torpedo it, um, and they jump off Bernie. That actually, some of those scenes, it was quite clear to me they were model scenes rather than mm-hmm. actual, and, and so that took me out of it a little bit. But that's very, very little of the special effects look slightly dull, but some of those did. Um, I mean, this was a theatre of war that was much. As far as theatres go, you know, it was not the Eastern Front, they were not subhumans to each other. It wasn't the Pacific, you know, with the atrocities committed by the Japanese and the sort of the hatred for them by the other side, and then atrocities committed back on them. This was a relatively civilized front in the Second World War. Relatively, so I, I mean, know, it's well, what you might call the, how... the brotherhood of sailors. The, the general feeling that the sea is quite enough to kill you without us doing it as well. So you know, we will try to sink your ship, but uh, th- this is this is the key thing. Uh, we will yeah. absolutely rescue uh, survivors once we have sunk your ship. Yes, and that is a thing that a submarine yeah. can't do, and that that in, is certainly one of the reasons they they were looked down on. I mean, 
bad enough that you, you had occasional reports of, uh, for example, an, an aircraft has sunk a ship and then strafes the lifeboats. That that was regarded as very bad. Yes, um, okay. But uh, just leave, leaving them to die in the water, uh, if that had been a, a German destroyer that had sunk it, they, they the automatic assumption would be you pick them up. Right, okay. Now, did that, because I... I think that changed later in the war. Did they have orders from Dernitz not to do that, or have I? It's it's all a bit murky. Okay, but but no, submarines never could. That's the thing. I mean, they, uh, so I mean, the, you know, the submarine to... doesn't have a marine detachment on board. It doesn't have anywhere to put prisoners, and so on. And they don't have the supplies, right? So, I mean, that comes across very well in the film. I suppose my question is: Did you think it was authentic? Their reaction to having to do that. I, I mean, think it was so. Clear why they couldn't have on? Um, I mean, quite apart from the stuff we've just said, it's shifting from the essentially mechanized war that we've already seen. You know, I've got yeah. this target, fire the torpedo at this bearing, listen, listen to the bang, and then yeah. uh, just after that, you got, you know, I, I'm hearing the bulkheads cracking from the pressure as, as the ship sinks. Okay, I've, I've realised that is actually the sound of people dying, and I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I think that was not, I, again. I, to me, it felt true. I just, I don't know. It, well, you know, if, if what you're doing up to that point is pushing a button, exactly, and then suddenly you're confronted with burning, screaming people jumping into the sea and either drowning if they're lucky or burning to death. I mean, these um, days we have desensitisation training, first-person shooters. So, <laughs> seriously, what one of the hardest things bad. to get people to do? If they ha- and until they've done it, is pull a trigger at a human-shaped target. Well, I um I've read uh oh, what's his name Dave. Uh, uh, there's um an interesting book called On Killing mm-hmm. about um how how many people just don't. Uh, I have some problems with the authenticity of the data used in this book, but how hard it is. How many people in war just kind of pretend to shoot and don't actually? Uh, yeah, that data. that is that is pretty broken. I gather. Um, those specific numbers have have been somewhat debunked now. I I I mean I looked into some of the figures and I thought these just aren't true. And he clearly had a big issue about first person shooters. Um, I uh, I don't know if first person shooters were murder trainers, then everyone in the world oh no would have problems. Not with not at all. Rather than America. Um, um, but it means that that there it, it is helping to remove one of the many mm. barriers to killing somebody. That's the thing. I th- and if you're training infantrymen, this can be quite handy. Well, that, yes, I, and I think it's fair to say that probably the more distant you are, if you're back at base flying a drone, it's much easier to kill than if you have a... Yeah, though it turns out um, drone pilots get just the same rate of combat stress as in-person fighter pilots, bomber pilots. Is that true? Well, that, So that's interesting, and I guess maybe that comes a bit later when they realise what they've done, or maybe mm. they just can't think of it, but... Okay, well that's interesting. But yes, I mean, there's got to be a difference between the pushing a button and the the personal side. However, you realise what that has actually done in Daspot is clearly it's shown to them by people jumping into the sea screaming. Um, okay, yeah. So that was a, that was a a well acted. I mean, we're just kind of going through the scene, saying how much we like them at this point. But that's not, that's not a bad well, thing. Well, okay. So um, technical nitpicking. Yes. I have almost none. Uh, and <laughs> that, that is actually one of the reasons I love this film because the, a thing I keep saying is, look, 
you can get all the technical details right. You don't have to rub in, look all the research I did. You just get them right, no. and you can still have an exciting story. And yes. I think this is an example of that. I mean, yes, it's not not exactly like the actual Seventh Patrol of Year 96, but right. it's not, yeah, neither is the book. It doesn't have to be that exactly. I think there is a huge amount of drama to be wrung out of uh, even if you don't quite understand what's going on, knowing that it's authentic and seeing these professional people and the fear yeah. that whatever is happening on the boat is engendering to them and what they clearly have to do to fix it, that is... I mean, there are other genres that get that very right. You know, The the Wire, for me, is the example that kind of gets mm. how police murder police work and how being a drug dealer works and, <laughs> and a lot of other things too. But it just... It is so... It's clearly so authentic... Mm. Um, that it rings drama out of that because you know that this is true or at least as close to true as it can Even be, the bits that would seem it. boring. You, you, you show exactly. the reactions of the people to the, you know, a, 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 a needle jumps on a meter and you go, oh crap. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Just, there, is, there is a huge amount of drama to be rung out, which Dasbo does phenomenally well. When they're at the bottom of the ocean, having been sunk off the Straits of Gibraltar, that I mean, that is just incredible. Mm. Uh, that, that that the tension, the the slow running out of oxygen, as you say, the chief engineer. I mean, he's 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 scared, and you can see it. But he's going to do it, and he will get them up again. To um, to me, that that his best moment is when he comes back to report and says, "Right, fixed all the leaks, fixed this, fixed that, fixed the other thing. One or two other things to get on with." <laughs> yeah. that's, that's so good. Oh my goodness, that is so good. And then, from then, when they actually make it up, and you know, they're going back up into the same situation they were, they went down mm-hmm. again. So, ah, oh, it was beautifully... There, um, there are some bits that don't yeah. quite work for me. Um, not so much the details as the depiction of the details. Um, and okay. most most of the times we see the, the periscope or binocular shots that are clearly near the yeah. water surface, it, it's a bit, for me, very obviously, this is a water tank. Yeah, because... I, again, that was one of my other moments of, this is either a model, or the way the waves are moving is not... Yeah, correct. I mean, it, it was a classic problem until CGI came in. You just can't scale water movement. A, a yes. little tank doesn't look like a big tank. Exactly. And it's just, you don't quite know what's wrong, but you can tell that the scale is off. Um, and it brings you out of it. And like, some some of the underwater shots you can clearly you know, it's supposed to, you're supposed to be very deep and you can clearly see the um masts trail making a wake on the surface. That kind of thing. Right. It, but it, okay. it's it's the yeah. depictions as opposed to what they're actually saying. Basically. Yeah, so slight failures in special effects and kind of understandable failures in special effects. The um, the only actual really technical error and, and I've got to say it's a pretty minor one is uh, La, Rochelle, La Rochelle wasn't actually operating as a base at this point. Um, okay. But in the book, it's Saint-Nazaire. But Saint- I was going to say, I think it is different. In, 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 in Saint-Nazaire, they've largely demolished the submarine pens and La Rochelle are still there, so they could just use the actual pens to film in. Okay, so they just filmed there because it looked like it. Um, even that was difficult, though, because I think they could, you can't just CGI out the modern buildings in the background. Yeah. They had to get the right angles <laughs> and stuff and put smoke in the way. Um, I would like to talk, with that in mind, about the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know war is arbitrary and hell and people die. It just felt to me like it didn't feel mm, authentic. It felt like a kind of 
we have to narratively finish off this in some way. To be clear, this didn't happen to the actual U-96. They weren't strafed when they got out, uh, and they went out again and again and again. Um, But in their film, they're strafed by an allied... Uh, bomber at well, they were bombers. They're not bombers, are they? They're just oh, the actual planes. aircraft, I think, is a T six. Which, yeah. Uh, but they are. Uh, I mean, half the crew are killed, including the captain, who survives long enough to watch his ship go down before he dies. Um, the ending didn't work for me. It felt like a, we have to wrap this story up now, and we can't really end on a triumphalist note because of the kind of story we've told. Hmm. So we have to do something dramatic. Oh, it's killable, and I, I don't know. I found that I, I know that's how war works, and I know sometimes that's how life works. I know people die out of the blue. It, it felt like a, a can I say lazy way of wrapping up the plot in a kind of genre appropriate way. Mm. To me, I wonder. The thing that occurs to me is, as an alternate way of doing this, I agree. You don't want a triumphalist ending, but. I could see it working if you basically ended up echoing the opening shots, you know, here they are going down the road to the brothel again. Yeah, that's that's exactly that's the kind of ending I was well not expecting, but exactly when I was thinking, well how would I how would I've wanted it to end? We'll just show that Werner may have got off and he's got his stories and he's fine. These guys are going out to do it again mm. and again. And again, and sooner or later, the odds are going to catch up with them. Yeah, I mean, I think they had, and then you could have faded something up like a two-thirds yeah. casualty rate across the submarine well, service. The opening, yeah. Well, the opening thing is thirty thousand. Yeah, forty thousand sailors were sent out, and thirty thousand never came back. Mm. Um, uh, I yeah. So I, I I came to the conclusion that that's the exactly the ending I wanted. Werner's off and done. Um, they're back into it again. I don't know. The ending didn't quite work for me for that reason. Did you feel the same, or did it not bother you? Yeah, well, as, as I say, I, I, there are there are endings I would have preferred. I, I agree. You yeah. don't want something about yay, we're all heroes. Yeah, um, exactly. Have... Doing it that way, yeah, not perhaps my taste, but I wouldn't say it's a complete failure. It, 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 it's it's I mean, it's in not... the right general category of endings. It's just not not a great one. I feel. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's certainly no apocalypse now. <laughs> well, yeah, um, it's an ending. Yeah. It's an ending. Well, yeah, I've got this. It's, it has a, something of a climax. In, in a way, I felt we'd already had our climax, um, in the Straits of Gibraltar. Mm. Uh, maybe it's just me thinking, like, oh, they went through all that for nothing. But it, it's not quite that. It's, um, it just felt a bit lazy to me. But I don't want to over-criticise it. I, um, for a three, I mean, you have we have Roger's ninety-minute rule. Contend with this <laughs> film more than double, double its way out of that one. How do you feel about it? I mean, you've said it didn't drag. You've said you loved it. Uh, would it would it been better shorter? Would you have rather have seen the? I I have yeah. never actually seen the theatrical uh, version. Okay. I'd be interested to see it, but as I say, I love the full-length uh, miniseries so. Well, I think, yes, given a choice, I'd rather have watched this perhaps over a few nights. Six 50-minute episodes seems like the... I mean, we're all used to watching, absorbing our fiction like that nowadays <laughs> with TV as good as it is. I think it probably would have worked better for me than a single three-and-a-half-hour film. Uh, not that I have huge problems with that, but if it was that old theatrical, I'd rather have watched it as a miniseries, I think, in that mm, way. I'm- I, I don't know how you're physically watching these. For me, it's a laptop or computer monitor. 
and uh, I'm, I'm not getting the cinematic surrounding feeling from it. So well, whether I that would make I, a difference, I, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, uh, to be as far as how I'm watching the films we're watching for Ribbon of Memes, about the ones that I have on DVD, um, I watch on my TV because it's the only way I can. Um, the ones that I don't, that I um, that I get uh, on Amazon Prime or whatever, I um, I watch on my phone. Within, to be honest, within a minute or two, the experience is the same. Mm-hmm. As Clive Sinclair pointed out with his, uh, with his, uh, the recently deceased Clive Sinclair pointed out with his portable TV, you know, it obtains the same angle in your eye, depending on how close you hold it. And I don't think it makes much. I mean, it turns out no one believed him with his portable TV, but I think we the Fresnel lens was a phone. dead giveaway. <laughs> but now that the, you know, the definition is as good on our phones as on our mm. TV. For the most part, I don't. Uh, I don't know that. Uh, yeah, certainly. I, I try to have a, a fairly large laptop screen, and I'm not really surrounded by other things happening. So, I yeah, think that helps. I don't, I don't. I don't know. It's easy to say. I, it's probably just the same as being in the cinema. That's not true. But there's a lot of disadvantages to going to the cinema too. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> the sound mixing for a um, start. Uh, I would like to mention the music because uh, it really does have just hmm. the one musical theme. It does. Which, which back back in the Noirathon we we found very frustrating in um oh, yeah uh, with um the long kiss good it's the long goodbye I'm still stuck in my yeah and it, it happens that I absolutely love this theme which helps well, I mean, the, uh, and and they use different bits of it at different times but it is fundamentally just the one piece of music that, that seems well, a bit of a shame to be honest when that is instrumental I don't mind that so much. Uh, I mean, Jaws, well, no, Jaws has its um, adventure music, which you were <laughs> less keen on. Uh, um, with the long kiss goodnight, it's, uh, not the long kiss goodnight, sorry, with the long goodbye, it was, um, it's the same song, but mixed differently, but it is a song that you're hearing. Mm. It's just, it's just um, the same thing every, every time. Um, the complication in this case is they would have had some difficulty in using a lot of the contemporary German music. Uh, uh, because it's, because very, it's your, your actual yeah. Nazi marching songs and things. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it was not intrusive. I did notice. I, I mean, I suppose one of our rules is if you notice a soundtrack, maybe probably it didn't work that well. Well, I did notice a soundtrack in Deathspeak, and that's probably because you're thinking, oh, it's just the same notes that I heard not so long ago. But it doesn't get in the way, and I liked it. Yeah, I, I would certainly listen to that music in the background while I was playing a submarine game or something <laughs> um, to get me in the mood. So uh, it worked. I wouldn't say it was especially wonderful to me, mm. but I like it. Um yeah, maybe it would have been nice to have more variety, but I don't think it needed it. I mean, a lot of it doesn't feel like a film that really needs a huge soundtrack. It probably would have done just as well without any music at all. I suspect. Yeah, quite possibly. It, it's certainly never intrusive. So, no. Well, that would, do you have anything more to say about Das Boat? Uh, well, not about the film itself, but but talking about the masterpiece thing. I I think this. Yes. I. <laughs> It's hard to point to specific stuff, but I think this has been an influence on basically every submarine film that happened after it. I think that's fair to say, yes. Uh, uh, there's yeah, there's a mean, fair bit the in the Hunt for Red October, October, yeah. But, uh, what else have we had? Crimson Tide. Uh, I mean, they are much more Hollywoodized versions on nuclear subs. I don't know that we've had a World War II sub film since. Uh, what, mm, I was the U571? 
U571, which I haven't seen. Nor have I. Uh, is there one about the subs that captured an Enigma machine, or the, the, the raid that captured an Enigma machine from a submarine? Yeah, which they changed an American sub for the uh, for the film, obviously. Oh, goodness, okay. <laughs> um, uh Yes, I, I would certainly agree is influenced a lot, and, and probably the realism. I, and I think that probably was a change from many films before it, just the sheer realism of it, which a lot of films have gone for, you know, Saving Private Ryan, you know, really tried to put you on the battlefield with the soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and other films have done it since, and I suspect Das Boat was an influence in that. Were the films before this that really tried to uncinematically, unglamorously put you in the position of any soldiers um, possibly uh, filmic knowledge of war well, they, they um, when did that come out um, the thing that comes to mind is All Quiet on the Western Front oh yeah, okay well, that, was, <laughs> that was much earlier I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know when the film was 60s, I think, I think 60s or 70s yeah. maybe 70s uh, so, uh, but it was it was certainly early than eighty. Well, there, there was a nineteen thirty film. There was also a seventy nine film. So you know, not not that yes, much exactly. before this. Oh, not not hugely earlier. It was the seventy nine one I was thinking of with um, that chap out of the Waltons in it. <laughs> um, uh, Richard uh, Thomas and uh, Ernest Borgnine mostly starring. Ernest Borgnine. How have we not had Ernest Borgnine in any of these films? <laughs> Shocking. We haven't got long left for him either. Oh dear. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll pick it up at some point. Um, uh, I, yeah, but I think it was if it wasn't trailblazing it was, I think much, so not just on submarine films I suspect it had an influence on a lot of war films after this, just for the realism of it I, I it's certainly something we've seen since, that films have moved away from the, I mean even Apocalypse Now, which we talked about what was that, two years before this that's not realism, that's kind of almost mythical, I mean mm. there are real elements to it, but Platoon afterwards, when's that, 86 about, about has then, a yeah. much more gritty realism to it on the, on the ground even that is way more Hollywoodized than, than this is um, mm. I, I bet it has an influence on that sort of depiction. I, I would also like to mention um if, if you're listening for the masterpieces, you know, come back in a couple of minutes. Uh, Wing Commander, the the <laughs> film of the video game. Oh, hey, um, oh, now I, so I played the Wing. I, I played Wing Commander when it came mm-hmm. out. Uh, Chris Roberts clearly, uh, who is the I don't know the showrunner for all intents and purposes of the Wing Commander series, it got more and more cinematic as it went on, to the point where we had Mark Hamill playing your character in the later To the film. point where he uh, believed sorry. he could make a film. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where he got did so much filming, but unfortunately it turns out, no, it was the game people liked. <laughs> uh, but there is one particular scene, in that. It, it, this is a very bad film, but uh, I, I will ignore most of it. One particular scene where, where the, their ship is hiding while, while the uh, aliens... I I gotta say they're, they're depth charging the asteroids. Okay, right. Yeah. And well, so they all have to be very very quiet, so that the aliens won't be able to detect them. And the ship's captain is played by Jürgen Prochnow, and you can just look at his face and think, you know, see and thinking, how did I come to this? <laughs> oh yes, a large amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> 
isn't there a difference between a vacuum and the sea in propagation of sound? I don't want to be. You're not the target audience, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, and yes, okay, it had an influence on Wing Commander. He's now making a. a oh, anyway, let's not get into the long protracted. He's now not not making a game in he's return for large amounts of money. <laughs> he is, yes, he's been not making a game. But yeah, search Star Citizen, guys. It, it's not, it's not Star pretty. Oh, um, well, they're, they're a playable bit. Um, <laughs> but Elite, um, Elite Dangerous is much better. Um, anyway. I, well, let's not uh, deviate too far from core. Is it a masterpiece? I mean, I would say yeah. so. I, of course well, it is. It, this is I, in one, I'm, I'm not, I didn't have a top 10 film, film list before we started this, but this is definitely what I would put in there. <laughs> it's not quite for me, probably understandably, a film that I would rewind and watch again from the beginning, having seen the, the final bit. Um, but I understand why my parents were obsessed with it when it came out. I, I think it's brilliant. Um, uh, uh, do I have any? Do I have any problems with Daspot? Aside from the ones we've mentioned, that I'm uh, some of the character stuff. I wonder is not quite as accurate as it might be, and that's principally the Nazi, anti-Nazi feeling. I don't know. I don't know what I would want differently from a film. Really, I didn't like the ending either. Well, that, that's another consideration, of course. I mean, this this is 1981. It's less than 40 years since the end of the war. There are people alive who remember what it was like. Some of them were indeed technical advisors. Um, yes. But I, I think there was a, a, a very hard shift in attitudes from the Nazis slash the Germans are the enemy and bad and, and you know, we don't want to be anything like them to, the, okay, they're people. Um, I've, I've, there's, there's a bit yes. in the P.D. James book where, where she is clearly completely bemused by, by this young character who regards Germany as a nice civilised place where you can go hiking and get good food and stuff. Well, this is so, not like after, you know, the, the classic Faulty Towers, the Germans episode, where it's still, you know, many British people are still having trouble letting it go. But, I mean, this is, in the 80s, I spent many of my childhood holidays in Germany, mm -hmm. and you wouldn't know. Um, yeah, the, you're right, there was a shift there. And, and clearly, uh, quite rightly, you know, the German nation, of West Germany as it was at the time, I suppose, um, had been at extreme pains to distance Germans and Nazis and, and make them very mm -hmm. distinct and that's quite right too I mean uh, um, there is a, a goal um, but I'm not sure it was quite like that in 1941 it, yeah. it, it's a hard thing to do I mean yeah, you, we can look at other countries and think yeah they've probably done a, a worse job of coming to terms with who did what in the war and like, <laughs> like the cliche about yeah, every Frenchman has an uncle who was in the resistance <laughs> yes, no, no, yes. Nobody, nobody knows anybody who was a collaborator. <laughs> no, funny that. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, overall, yes, uh, brilliant. We'll, uh, yeah, good job, Wolfgang. So, oh, 1981 at the box office. Yeah, let's have it. Uh, number ten, Time Bandits. Oh, lovely. A lovely stuff. bit of a mess, but it has some yeah. excellent bits to it. It's, uh, yeah, I, it caught me a very... Terry Gilliam actually got to finish a film. Back, back when he was able <laughs> to remember, finish films. Remember when he could do that? Oh, that was Terry Jones as well, wasn't it? But, um, I, it was one of those films, I don't know if it probably did have a cult following and certainly that's how I came to see it. And just, mm. it was just completely off the wall from anything I'd ever seen before. It's not even really like Monty Python. It is like, 
it's halfway between Monty Python and Terry Gilliam, which is probably a very good thing. Um, yeah, I, I would say not 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 by any means a perfect film, but great fun. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Number nine, absolutely. The Four Seasons, romantic comedy with Alan Alder. I have never seen it. I have never heard of it. Oh, I think I have seen it. I, but I have a huge man crush on Alan Alder, and I've watched many things with him. That does not um, it does not steer any emotions, <laughs> however. Uh, number eight, For Your Eyes Only. Uh, James Bond goes back underwater, because it works so well every time they do a scuba diving sequence. Is that the one where he drops Blofeld down a, a chimney? Uh, at the start, I think, yeah. Yeah. Except it's not Blofeld because uh, Kevin, what's his name, had had the rights to Blofeld. So it's so it's an unnamed person with a white cat. Unnamed person in a wheelchair with a white cat. Mm. Yeah. Uh, number me. seven w- was a possible candidate for this: uh, Chariots of Fire. Oh yeah, at the twenty-four Olympics. I don't know. To me, that is one of those films that's very moving and exciting to watch. And then after the uh, after the the, gla- the luster wears off, and you realise how. How much of it was bollocks? I <laughs> saw it in the cinema more or less at the time, and I was very, very bored. But I was also, you know, mm. twelve. So, <laughs> right, yeah, it doesn't have particularly. I like the music. Good job, Van. Was it Van Gelly? Yeah. Good job. Uh, number six, the Cannonball Run. Uh, we we have been scathing about but realms comedies, uh, but this one is one that works pretty well for me. I have not been scathing. I've been very defensive of it. Uh, but he has cropped up a lot. He was dominating the charts there the last few mm-hmm. years, for sure. Uh, another Hal Needham direction. Uh, number five, Stripes. Uh, war comedy. Oh, goodness. Bill Murray, Harold Ramis. Yeah, the beginning of like the, that. Well, that combination that ended with Groundhog Day, I guess. Um, well, there's some good films. Stripes is okay. I've not seen it, but... Uh, uh, number four, Arthur. Uh, Dudley Moore as a drunken New York billionaire. Yeah, never it never appealed to me enough to watch it. But <laughs> I gather John Gielgud's John Gielgud's very good in it. I gather. Uh, number three, Superman two, with a a, a oh. troubled production, but I, I, bits of it worked. I would say. Back when we had superhero films, whatever happened to them? <laughs> Crikey. Uh, number two on Golden Pond, uh, family drama. Catherine Hepburn, Never Henry Fonda, it. Jane Fonda. I'm worried it might fit into your white people problems. I stro- <laughs> strongly suspect so. Yeah. Uh, and at number one, oh, a little thing called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, why didn't we pick that? Because we wanted to do something with it out of the out of the box. Well, and, and we might just possibly I mean, come back to that next week. We might well come back to Raiders. I would like to reevaluate it. Especially with Indy 5 currently being filmed. Uh, if you you belong in a museum, Harrison. <laughs> it's so sad. I, th- I remember thinking in For Your Eyes only that Roger Moore looked a bit old for the part. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, it, it was uh, his last one, uh, View, to, uh, View to a Kill, where he realised yeah, yeah. he was not only significantly older than, than the, than the um, last floozy, he was significantly older than her mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah, that probably brought it home to him. I'm sure Roger Moore, that's Roger Moore's own anecdote. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he he was quite happy to tell stuff against himself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, there we are. And yeah, that's, that's a darn good film, I think. Yeah, good, good choice for 81. Well, have a think about where we go from here. Um, but for now... All that it remains for me to say is, uh, Alice Clark.